Welcome to Noble Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to build, to create, to scale purpose-driven organizations. We're going to be talking about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics such that you can use everything that we share with you today and build and scale your purpose-driven organization. Today, I'm really excited to have my guest, Jackie Nickel, with us today. She is the co-founder of the Flow Consciousness Institute, a research and training body dedicated to developing cutting-edge consciousness-based tools for unlocking human potential. Her work has been featured on Force Magazine and Fast Company Magazine. I am personally very interested to asking her about the mechanics of consciousness, unlocking flow states, relationship building, community building, especially during this time. But let's first welcome Jackie. Welcome Jackie to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I mean, basically you said all of my favorite things. <laughs> all, all of your topics are all of my favorite things. Well, consciousness is such a, oh, actually, no, before we jump into consciousness, let's talk about flow first, because flow is such a amorphous topic. So for you, as you are building a business around it, you're teaching people how to get into flow states. What is your definition of flow? Yeah. So I'm just going to create a distinction around flow states and flow consciousness, because okay. what I teach flow consciousness and most people are more familiar with flow states so flow oh, okay. states are those temporary states of uh, peak performance of non-ordinary states of consciousness where there's an expanded sense of creativity the sense that time seems to stop things like that and so there is absolutely overlap between flow states and what we call flow consciousness but flow consciousness is really uh it's a a stage of psycho-spiritual development. So you're actually able to live in flow as opposed to having just a temporary experience of it. And so when you're really tapped in and embodying flow consciousness, you have this sense of life is conspiring in your favor. Really, it feels like all of the resources you need to thrive come to you in perfect synchronicity. You have exponential growth and success in your life, in your business. So you take these quantum leaps and you develop a really radical trust and surrender to life. So letting go of control and trying to manipulate your reality and, and really trusting that there's a, a greater wisdom at play that's really guiding everything. So really radically surrendering to life, tuning in and operating from intuition as opposed to logic, because your intuition can process billions of bits of data per second, as opposed to your rational mind, which is inherently limited. And mm -hmm. so an aspect of it is doing deep inner work, which I know you, you geek out on this too, and really reprogramming the mind to eliminate the limiting beliefs, the emotional patterns, the traumas, these imprints in the subconscious that are unknowingly blocking us from having everything that we want. You said a lot. So there's a lot of different places where I can get into. But let me first make a distinction on your distinction. So you're you're making a difference or a distinction between flow states and flow consciousness. And 
flow state is a temporary state, it's a snapshot versus a flow consciousness is more of a, like a lens of which you look at the world of your entire human experience. Is that an accurate way reflection of what you describe? Yeah, in, in a sense. I mean, it, it's really, it's living the Tao. It's really being in that Wu Wei, the art of effortless action, the non-doing doing. So really being in that place in alignment with yourself, with your purpose, what you're here to do, really tapping in to the essence of who you are, the true nature of who you are, which is limitless. And so digging through and excavating all of the layers of, of the ego that have built up over the years and have been imprinted with this illusion so that you can get to the place of pure potentiality. And so it's about living from that place. So you're speaking to someone who is a recovering engineer, cerebralist, when I was younger, in my younger days, uh, if I didn't see it, if I couldn't touch it, if I couldn't measure it, it doesn't exist. And so everything is purely in the material world. And after I had a number of transformational experiences, peak experiences, spiritual experiences, that's when I was really more open to things that's beyond what's measurable and, and, and you know, in the psycho spiritual world, shall we say, right? So let's just backtrack a little bit about your origin story, about how you got into all of this. Were you like me, more of a materialist and then was open up to this world or had you always been very much uh, a Wu Wei, Yin Yang? Yeah, I would say I identified more as you in a more materialist, reductionist sense and just in this place of having to see it to believe it whereas now i'm living in i have to believe it to see it and yeah it was really a, a journey of wanting to heal the wounds in my lineage there was a lot of addiction in my lineage and and patterns that created great suffering for me and so from the time i was a teenager i started reading books on psychology on eastern wisdom traditions and and really diving into the psyche and seeing how, you know, purely for selfish reasons, how I could overcome the challenges that, that I was facing in my life. And so from that time, I was reading everything that I could. And then I think the biggest catalyst was the death of my brother in 2009. And so at that point in my life, I was really... I thought I was on my purpose. I was doing work that was really fulfilling. I was working with children with autism and it really was nourishing to me in many ways. But at the same time, because I had a lot of unhealed wounds, I became the person who gave so much of myself and, you know, to the expense of my own health. And so I burnt out. I got a chronic autoimmune condition. I was really in this place of just giving until I fell apart. And then when my brother died, it was the catalyst for me to really examine life and really face this idea of my own mortality. And if I were truly living life for me, what would that look like? And at the time, you know, I, like I said, I, I felt really connected to my purpose, but there was something missing. And I knew that I'd wanted to travel the world for so long. But at that time, I had a private practice that I worked so hard to build. It, it just didn't seem reasonable, but I ended up walking away from my life as I knew it four months later and taking a year long trip around the world. 
and on that journey, that was really a deep dive into my soul and really learning to surrender to life because I was a bit of a control freak, type A perfectionist overachiever. You may know people like that, but that was definitely- yeah, this is a smile of recognition. I, I get it. I, I get you. Sure. Totally. So yeah. that was me. And as I was traveling, it really forced me to surrender because if you're traveling in developing nations and third world countries and stuff, you have to let go of control because things aren't going to go to plan. And so I was really learning to hone my intuitional skills in that as well. I had to really learn to trust myself, to trust other people, to trust life. So this was really my training ground for living in flow. And in saying yes to climbing Kilimanjaro, I ended up at a retreat in Australia that completely radically shifted everything for me. And it was a total quantum leap in my consciousness. It was really the first time that non-dual teachings had been introduced. And at first I was really triggered and pissed off by some of the ideas that they were sharing. But then I sat with it. I knew, like I know enough, I'd done enough work at that point to know that if I'm being triggered or something doesn't match my worldview, then there's something for me there to look at. And so I ended up staying and going deep into these teachings and these ideas, and it, it radically transformed everything. And so after that, I became kind of obsessed and studied all these different modalities and really was, you know, trying to figure out the nature of reality and, and how I work and, and what makes me tick and just really digging deep into my own consciousness. And I came to live in a way that people wanted to know how I was doing it. I was manifesting crazy things, whatever I said would kind of happen. And um, I just felt this. Prof yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, you were going through a lot of different phases very quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I wanted to dive in deeper in some of the, the transition points, some of the pivotal moments that you had, because I will assert that this global pandemic in many ways is that inception, that forcing function, the initial stage that you experience mm. when you first had your challenge with the autoimmune disease, when you first, you know, learn about your brother's death, right? So, yeah. so people are not necessarily already on path on the path to climb Mount uh, Kilimanjaro and so forth. So bring us back to those moments, because I would assert that the first pivotal moment was hey, I'm going through this right now. Should I take a break or should mm -hmm. I hustle more, right? These are the very timely questions that people ask themselves right now because you hear both sides right now, right? Hey, self-care, number one most important thing. Don't, don't force it. Don't try to hustle your way out. And some people are thinking, no, now is the time to act, to, to grab market share, to be a leader, right? So these are real decisions that people grapple with. So bring us back to those moments when you first were diagnosed with the autoimmune disease, when you first heard about your brother's death, because that was the moment when you were faced with your own existential crises at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thanks for bringing me back to that. It was, I was at a point in my life where I was working six days a week, 14 hours a day, and so committed to helping these kids, but I had no breaks for myself. I was 
eating goldfish crackers for lunch and really not supporting myself in all of that. And I was getting so many signs from life to slow down. And, you know, sometimes you just need to get smacked by the spiritual two by four to actually take it in. You know, there were a couple of times that I got speeding tickets and then I was getting these rashes on my body, this autoimmune response to stress and nervous system overwhelm. And, you know, at first I, I did the Band-Aid approach because I really needed to show up for, for work. I was committed. So I, I was taking all kinds of medication to try to be able to get through the day. And then I shifted into really changing my nutrition and I became mostly raw vegan and in an attempt, I'm not eating that way anymore, but in an attempt to heal, really not taking the, the band-aid approach and, and going deep into a holistic approach of how do I nurture and support myself. But really, I, I didn't get it until my brother died. And that was, I was leaving to go to Mauritius, which is a tiny island off the coast of Madagascar. And I had a one-week vacation and I so needed it at that point. I was just so fried. And I was in the airport in South Africa when I got the call about my brother. And I was faced with the, the toughest decision that I've ever had to make. And it was, do I turn around and fly home 30 hours devastated? I mean, I was on the floor of the airport wailing. And I, I just couldn't imagine going home. But also I felt so much guilt if I stayed, you know, so I ended up flying to Mauritius and I figured I'd decide there. And when I got there, I just, I knew that that's where I was meant to be. And I knew that there was no accident that I was on the other side of the planet in a place where everyone knew I was traveling. So they weren't going to call me. They were, you know, I was going to be off the grid in a sense and in a place where I wouldn't be a caregiver for anyone else, that I really had the time to be with myself and to grieve. But I had to make this choice that was the most difficult decision ever as they held up my brother's funeral for me until I came back. And so there was a part of me that felt so selfish in that. And there was another part of me that was like, wow, I actually get to have space to grieve. And I had a therapist at the time that I could call whenever I needed. I had a friend there for support. And it was everything that I needed for myself. And maybe for the first time ever, I chose myself first. And that was huge because I spent my entire life putting everyone else's needs before my own. So that was a really pivotal moment. And when I got back, you know, and like I said, four months later, I decided to leave the country and to leave my career, this profession that I loved and was so good at, in order to do this thing that my soul knew that I needed, even though it didn't make sense. You know, everyone's like, why would you do that? Leave a perfectly good career, all the shoulds, you know, so it's really identifying what's driving that. Is it you know, are we doing things because we think we have to, we think we should, society tells us we need to, there's all of these other drivers for our behavior. But if we're really tuning into what we actually know to be true and what we want to be doing, it's a very different experience. So I'm going to ask you to concretize that even more. So someone who's listening to this right now, maybe a business owner, maybe his events business, 
gone for the moment, right? He now needs to pivot or he needs to reinvent himself altogether, right? So it's so different schools of thought, right? One school of thought is the most selfless thing you could do is to be selfish, take mm -hmm. care of yourself first. That's one, one school of thought. Another school of thought is, you know, don't be a selfish person, right? Help others <laughs> because you can, right? That responsibility, responsibility. Here's the response. What, you know, given your ability, how will you respond, right? Given the circumstances, different schools of thought. So how would you, are there any kind of questions uh, or, or felt sensations that you can help these people in this fork world right now to make that decision? Take care of myself or take care of my family or my business in sacrificing my own well-being. Yeah, it's hard to make generalities because everyone's situation is going to be so specific. So I don't like to tell people like, this is what you need to do. So I think mm -hmm. it's it's abiding by these first principles of really tuning into what you need, you as an individual in your individual circumstances and noticing where there's layers, of, like I said, of, of I think I have to do this. Uh, this is you know what everyone else is doing. So if I don't do that, I'm gonna fall behind. Looking where those beliefs are that might be creating our action as opposed to our true desire and our excitement and our inspiration. And so using that data to then look what's underneath the surface like what's actually creating that is it fear that's inspiring you you know to take action or you know also another way is is really looking nature is always looking to come back into balance so if you're someone who's been pushing hard and really hustling all the time and now we're in this pandemic and now all of a sudden people, you know, not everyone, uh, but a lot of people have more space and more time in their lives. And there's this, you know, there's some memes going around these motiva motivational memes that are actually shaming people for not taking action. It's like, oh, well, now you have the time. So if you're not actually doing things, it's, it's because of a lack of discipline. And in reality, we're in a collective trauma response. So everyone is going to be reacting or responding in a way that's you know, aligned with how much work they've done to heal those those triggers. And so maybe what a person needs to do, which seems counterintuitive, is to just rest and do nothing and, you know, watch Netflix. Uh, but for someone else, maybe they've been in inaction for too long. And so the very thing that they need to do is go into more action. But I, I think if if I could make a generality in this time, the most important thing is to do the inner work and to notice whatever's coming up for you. And so if you're having a lot of negative emotions to find tools and find mentors or guides or coaches or healers or therapists or whatever, books, courses, things to support you in that, to work through that, because this is really going to be the thing that's most supportive and noticing what is underlying that's driving your either ability to respond, like you said, that response ability or response agility, or if you're coming from reactivity and all of this unconscious programming that you're not aware of. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. So for the people who are listening to this podcast, the, the, well, you don't know this, but for the people who are listening to this podcast, 
they know that uh, I, I love using the yin yang sign quite a lot because I, I found it to be such a simple but profound tool mm -hmm. to illustrate certain points. And reflecting back on what you said in, in the way our language it is ultimately find the harmonious point that's within you. If you are, as you said, uh, way too yang, you know, driven, 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 driven all the time, maybe now is the time to take a rest. If you're a little bit complacent most of the time, maybe now it's time to take some action. But I think from the way I would reflect back on what you said is, yeah, do the cerebral work, right? To brainstorming, to write everything down on paper at the same time, also listen to your body. Because Absolutely. in my mind, the balance of the two with the, the truth, your truth, the way that responds to you the most, chances are somewhere in the middle. Right. Once you actually have taken in all the data from your body and from your mind. Absolutely. It's, it's really the integration of the heart and the mind. And the mind is inherently limited, as you know, by our, our beliefs and our perceptions. And so when you really know how to tune into the wisdom of the body, you can access so much more data. So really learning to listen to the innate wisdom that we all carry and tune into that to allow that to be the compass. But the thing is, a lot of people either don't trust that, they don't know how to tune into it, or there's so much noise in the system. So the, the signal to noise is all distorted because either people have too many chemicals in their system, they have too many unprocessed emotions and trauma imprints in their system. And so it's hard to get a clear read on what your body is telling you if you're not versed in it. So it's really, a worthy skill set to develop. Okay. So again, bring it down, right? Concretize a little bit. So what are, what is one practice that they can do to enhance the resolution, the fidelity of their bodily sensations or, or felt sensation? Yeah, I think, you know, just getting to know your own intuitional signature, because I think intuition speaks to people in different ways. So knowing how it shows up for you, is really critical. And knowing that intuition is a felt sensation. So it's not going to speak to you in terms of emotions. If you're experiencing an emotion in your body, it's because you've interpreted the felt sensation through the lens of your beliefs and your perceptions. So just getting clear, you know, going into, you know, a, a state of mindfulness and presence and doing a body scan and seeing what are the sensations, the subtle energies that are present in my body and around my body in this time. Does something feel expansive and light and energizing? Does it feel dark and heavy and contracting? And really just getting to know what those sensations are. And so, you can use it as a, a simple binary decision-making tool. The thing that feels expansive, light, energizing, freeing, that's intuition telling you, yes, you should make that choice. And if something feels heavy and contracting, restrictive, dark, that's your intuition telling you that's not the choice that's going to lead you into the path of most flow. So really checking in and using your intuition to make all of your decisions and hmm. building that muscle, because it's just like anything else. You don't brush your teeth once and be like, okay, I'm done. You know, it's, it's a muscle that you have to flex and, and grow over time. So checking in with all of your decisions from, you know, what you're going to eat for breakfast to what you're going to wear, 
everything because it's all of these micro decisions that we make throughout the day that position us in space and time, you know, on this different probability tree. And um, so we might think that the small things that we choose to do throughout the day are insignificant, but they're actually really important. And when you're tuning into your intuition, that's always going to guide you on the path for your most flow. So mm-hmm. yeah, just really tuning into the subtle sensations, getting clear on the energetics of, of what that feels like in your body and allowing that to be your guidance system for everything you do throughout the day. So I have a perhaps a personal question, but I, I want to generalize a little bit so that everyone can actually benefit from this particular question. As an athlete, as a martial artist, I never enjoy being pummeled in a sparring session or anything like that. Yeah, but I always appreciate it afterwards. It's similarly with, let's say, uh, the ayahuasca ceremony and things like that. It's never a enjoyable, I'm so looking forward to the experience. But afterwards, I always appreciate the insights that I receive, the lessons, the wisdom, the embodiment that I receive afterwards. So curious to know from your point of view, when you say listen to the embodied the, the wisdom that comes through you, the expansiveness versus the contraction, the contracting in your voice that's within you, how do I reconcile the leaning to discomfort versus just surrender to the highest flow, the most beautiful, the most expensive thoughts and activities. So help me reconcile that a little bit. Yeah, beautiful. I'm a former martial artist myself. I did eight years of Okinawan Shirin Ryu. So I don't I don't know that I ever enjoyed being pummeled even after, but I see what you're saying. And yeah, it's it's as you start to lean into intuition as your primary guidance system and it's going to bring you quickly to the edges of your comfort zone. You're going to see where you're habitually making choices that are are based on, you know, fears or what's keeping you safe and keeping you small. So as you put this into practice, it's definitely going to bring you to those edges. And that's where the work really is. So yes, it might become clear. Your guidance might say, yes, here's, here's the path, but A, it may not make sense because intuition is non-linear. So it's able to read information from the quantum field and might tell you to do something that seems so irrational. So being able to trust that and make that decision anyway is definitely a practice. But also it's going to show you all of the places where you're still operating from limitation, lack, scarcity, fear, all of these conditioned responses and take you to the edge of your comfort zone. But, you know, as you shared, it's it's these experiences like plant medicines or, you know, doing these different sports and things that may not be the easiest thing. They might push us to our limits, but that's where the most massive growth often is. So the willingness to lean into the discomfort, to sit with, you know, it's like doing pigeon pose and yoga. It's so painful at least for me, my hips are so tight and, and I hate it. I hate it for like every minute that it goes on, especially in a yin class where it seems like an eternity that you're holding one pose, but then there's that moment of release and everything relaxes. The more you breathe into it, the more you're willing to just 
go into acceptance and, and be fully in the discomfort that ironically is, is when it, sur it surrenders and releases and gives you so much more access to freedom and joy and ease on the other side of that. But yeah, there, there's, there's that period of tension where you're going into the discomfort and really stretching yourself. So uh, I just want to underline the point you just made a little bit. So if you look at my body, heart and spirit, right, there are different, it's all happening at the same time. So it's really difficult to just clearly distinguish, oh, it's just the body, it's just the mind, it's just the heart, it's just the spirit, right? But we, we try our best to compartmentalize a little bit so we can at least talk about it and distinguish it. So what you're describing here, the using your language expansiveness versus contracting is not necessarily like a felt physical sensation and in martial arts let's use that example it's it's uh, physically uh, uncomfortable very very uncomfortable painful perhaps for some but on the spiritual level emotional levels expansive and contracting can we, can we use those ways as a way to more of a, a delineate the distinction we're making here? Hmm. I'm not sure I entirely understand your question. Sure. So when we talk about when you earlier talked about expansive versus contracting versus and then and then versus let's say a a, a sparring experience or a uh, plant ceremony experience you are not talking about, hey, in this moment, physically, you're going to be expensive, right? It's perhaps more of a journey in afterwards. Let's see if I can make ask the question a little bit better. This is real time. We're doing this live. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also saying that, I mean, there's, there's an energetic in the expansion and contraction, mm -hmm. and neither one is better than the other. We tend to think you know, expansion is the positive or the good and contraction is the negative. But, you know, they're both ends of the same spectrum and they're both essential, you know, going back to that yin and yang, that they're both, you know, opposite sides of the, the same spectrum of energy. And so a contraction doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just means this is moving you away from whatever that choice is that you're you're making because your intuition is picking up on something that you can't necessarily know in that moment it's reading data from past present future that you know you don't know why it's just telling you like oh okay that that's a no it's telling me to move away from this so for example a woman in one of my workshops she stood up and she was talking about her intuition and one day it was telling her not to get on a flight and she'd invested several hundred dollars to get on this plane and she had somewhere to be and it didn't make sense that you know her gut her body was telling her like do not get on this plane and so she honored it being someone who's been well versed in listening to her intuition she didn't get on the flight and that was one of the planes that crashed into the World Trade Center on 9-11. So her intuition is so powerful. And 
again, it, it can tell us to move towards something or away from something, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a good or a, a bad experience. It's just able to read more information. I don't know if that was what you were. Yeah, no, I, I think when, when you use the word energetic versus what I was referring to is more of a physical, you, we're talking about two different domains. It's, mm. it's essentially what I was trying to illustrate here. So uh, it's beautiful. Beautifully illustrated. Thank you. So as a recovering cerebralist, let me push, push on you a little bit because I do hear and you know, part of my mind is saying, well, well, what about confirmation bias? Right. And, and my spiritual side is saying, well, you know, whatever believes empowers you individually, that's the, that's your truth, which is fine. So have you, how would you respond to someone? who is thinking or at least retorting back, well, what about confirmation bias? Yeah, I mean, confirmation bias is definitely a thing and we're all filtering these billions of bits of data per second according to what we already believe and to match our existing worldview. So I say, why not use it to your benefit? Why not use it to choose a belief that's empowering you and giving you agency as opposed to one that's going to be limiting you. So it doesn't matter if it's true because what is true anyway, both realities exist and you can find evidence for either. So why not choose the one that's gonna be the most beneficial for you? No, that's a beautiful response. I was asking more of a leading question because I totally <laughs> I believe in you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the placebo effect, right? So let's say if I, Actually, I don't know if you know this study. <clears throat> Even if I tell you this is sugar pill and you still take it, it is still will have a positive impact on you because somewhere in your mind is thinking, wow, this is good for me. It's yeah. really, really fascinating. Totally. And the nocebo effect as well. You know, so mm -hmm. here, especially relevant for right now. If we're not careful what we're consuming in terms of the media, there's so much information coming into our system about this pandemic and the state of the world and everything that is directly influencing our physical response to this reality. And so I'm so um, passionate about really being diligent about fasting with the media and really seeing what you're taking in because, you know, there's studies where doctors have told patients that they have three months to live and that they're going to die of cancer. And then the autopsy shows there was no cancer. So our, our brain body connection is so strong. And if we're going into fear because we're consuming all of this stuff that may or may not be true, who knows what's the truth out there right now, but it's infiltrating our system, activating this, amygdala response and creating this flight, flight, freeze, and, you know, giving us this adrenaline cortisol release. And, and actually that's what's lowering our immunity and making us more susceptible to being sick. So really knowing the power of the placebo and the nocebo, you get to choose. You always get to choose. Everything is your choice, how to respond and the lens and perception that you get to view life. So I'm always for, you know, choosing the one that's the most empowering. So what's your personal media consumption, habit, discipline, rituals? 
Yeah, I mean, I've definitely spun myself out a couple times across this pandemic, just going into conspiracy theories and just really wanting to understand and, and be able to choose my own truth so I know how to navigate. And then I realized that, you know, a lot of this conspiracy stuff is like a higher order victim consciousness and made me feel very disempowered and, you know, inability to take action and, and to feel my best. So I really stopped taking in a lot of this stuff, but I also am always engaging in a practice of how can I come from my center and take on all of the perspectives and not hold anything to be true because I really don't know anything. How can I sit in the mystery and the wonder and, and yeah, right. And yeah, so I, I obviously have what I believe to be true, but then also sitting in the not knowing and how can I listen to all of these different perspectives and check my own confirmation bias and see like, oh, okay, is there something here for me to learn? Is there information here that could be valuable? Or even if it's just to understand other people's perspectives and where they're coming from. So, you know, some days I'm in the, I, I really want to hear all of these different sides to choose my own truth. And other days I'm like, just turn it all off you know, and read a book and go outside and do the things that are most nourishing to my soul to be in nature and know that beyond my direct sphere of influence of what I can control in my own life, which is pretty much nothing, you know, I'm going to do the things that I know are going to support me. Like I have a, a great supplement regime. I exercise. Oh, are every... they? Let's, let's, let's geek a little bit out about the biohacking part. What, what are your supplements? Um, that, that, yeah. That um, I, so on the regular, I've been taking, I have a, a supplement called autoimmune X, which I've been taking to support my system, uh, which is like a really 20 years cultured aloe, uh, really pure form of aloe that I take every day. I've been taking D3, K2, colloidal silver, I have a special virus blend. I'm taking a fulvic acid, um, humic acid, high doses of vitamin C. There's probably more, but that's, you know, kind of the, the basics uh, on the daily. Oh, and magnesium, zinc. Yeah, getting sunlight every day. Accessing nature is, is super important. So that's, I'm doing all of the things that I could do to the best of my ability to support my health in this time and taking whatever precautions I feel are reasonable and doing the mindset work to really stay empowered and grounded. So that way I stand the best chance for whatever's coming at my system. And, and beyond that, like, I don't need to know what's happening in Sweden necessarily and death counts and all of that like it doesn't affect my life in this moment so just noticing where there's that desire to know everything that's going on and you're know, switching that off yeah you're speaking to a phd researcher so back in my <laughs> phd days i wanted to know everything under the sun even though it has no relevance to me whatsoever i subscribe to all kinds of magazines because i could you know, back at UCLA, right. I could subscribe to anything. So I subscribed to everything. And I realized uh, very much to your point, worrying about things that's outside my sphere of influence to me. And this is, you know, useful information someday. 
but I'm probably going to forget them anyway, but war, but really concretize and then have a very solid ritual discipline around my sphere of influence, my exercise, my sleep, my nutrition, mm -hmm. my relationships. These are like directly impacting me before I even worry about some other things. So a lot of people question my judgment about not consuming the news. And in my mind, the way I interpret this is, well, if it's important enough, someone will tell me one and two, I do read it, but I only read it enough. And if, if I feel very grounded with the amount of new information that I have in order to make a probabilistic outcome type of decisions, then that's sufficient. I don't need to take any more information in because anymore it would just be very similar to eating chocolate, right? And the first bite's awesome bite, bite, I don't know, 25. <laughs> it's, it's already diminishing return. And then by some point it's negative return for, for, right. for me personally. So. Yeah. And it, I mean, again, it's hard to know what's real right now. There's so much disinformation, misinformation, fake news, and just, you know, things that are, are being manipulated in the media that it's hard to know. And so I feel like that just adds to so much confusion and personally it takes me off my center. So I'd rather just not get into that at all. And like you said, know, know what I need to know in order to be safe and optimize my health and well-being. And beyond that, really being discerning in what I take in. One of the mental models that I learned from Jamie Wheel, I don't know if you know who that is, Flow Genome Project guy, also the author, one of the authors of Stealing Fire. Mm -hmm. He is kind of a, shall we say, conspiracy? He's he's a pessimist. He's he's, he's kind of a cynic from my point of view. You know, not the truth, but my point of view, my opinion. So he's been talking about the the end of the world is coming for as long as I know of him. But, but I really like his mental model. Essentially he's saying, Hey, prepare for the worst. What's the worst that's going to happen and prepare for that. And he's saying, Hey, you need to have these emergency kits, this and that. And the other thing should the worst happen, but if it doesn't happen, you have gear for burning man. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to need those things anyway. And. So he, he looks at it from a more of a probabilistic outcome. You know, even though the probability is really, really low, if it happens, I have something, if this probability and then certain, then I can prepare accordingly. So just wanted to share that. Yeah, no, I love that. The I definitely audience. feel like burners are way more prepared for this pandemic than anyone else. I know I, I took out my my masks and, and everything. It, and just had it all already in storage. So, and yes, I, I feel like there's absolutely benefit to being prepared and resilient and, you know, but I, I think there's a continuum, you know, there's the people who are preparing their underground bunker and not trusting anyone or anything and just, you know, going really off the deep end in a sense. And there's, you know, or, overconsumption and hoarding and that kind of thing. And then there's people who just have 
enough that they need, you know, they've got their finances in order, they've got their, their food and everything they need. So that way that keeps them more grounded and centered. So there's that saying trust in, in God or Allah, but tie up your camels. So mm -hmm. it's really having, you know, again, it, it's the paradox and be, being able to hold both perspectives, knowing, you know, that this is a really powerful potential initiation collectively for us to, change our behaviors and examine the the fractures in our broken system and make some important changes and you know just really being grounded and and prepared for whatever can happen because that can never hurt thank you so let's bring back to your the through line of your story right so you you're faced with existential questions in your own life you decided to take this vacation, this, this detour, choose yourself, right? As James Altucher would say, choose yourself. Mm -hmm. And you have your rituals to ground yourself, whether it's nutrition or exercise or spiritual with friends and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then proceed forward with your, with your path as you're carving out a new path in, your, in, 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 in ways that perhaps even didn't even make sense logically. Yeah, absolutely. And and being able to rest in that place of uncertainty is absolutely one of my greatest superpowers now. So that is key to really staying grounded in these times where, I mean, certainty is an illusion anyway. It's, you know, we, we bought into it and we thought, oh, you know, everything's going well, the economy's great, but anything can change in any moment as now we're seeing in a very dramatic and drastic way. So certainty is is never guaranteed. It's always an illusion, but we've just bought into it. But I think, I don't know if the Tony Robbins quote, like to the degree of which you can be in uncertainty is, yeah, I don't remember what it was, but really the more we're able to be grounded in the unknown. And I, again, I think this comes largely in part to these different spiritual awakenings and medicine experiences and, and just being surrendered to all of it, but then also having an embodied understanding of our multidimensional nature and really being okay with death is something that people don't often talk about, but having lost my brother and then lost a number of friends over the years, I've really meditated on my mortality and death and having these experiences like you said, that are transcendent and mystical, that I, I feel okay with dying. And I feel like I have so much more life to live, but at the same time, I don't have that strong fear of death because when we fear death, we go into trying to control everything in life to avoid it. And then we're not actually living. So in order to really live, we have to paradoxically face death and really reflect on it and be okay with it. And that sets us free. So, you know, I, I think death and uncertainty are, are very related and tied in because most people are just, they don't have a sense of what happens when we die or, you know, they have an idea that may not, you know, th they might be afraid because they think this is this is it. You know, once this physical form is is done, like that's it, it's over different perspective, which gives me a lot more 
peace. And so I can really ground into the uncertainty and so navigate challenging times like this. Yeah, I love that. I think one of our initial discussions was uh, a quote that you share with me uh, privately were that we've been preparing for this in some ways with our own spiritual practices and, and physical practices and so forth. So, but nonetheless, this is not you. It's a paradoxical statement though. I would say it's still not pleasant. It's not like we love it, right? <laughs> we love the intensity of it. It's just that we have more grit, more resilience to more tolerance, like that threshold is higher to, to deal with it. I mean, at least that's my point of view. I'd love to hear if you, what, yeah. what's your thought on that? Yeah, it, it's, I think that people think living in flow, like, oh, nothing bad ever, nothing bad ever happens in your life. And that's not the case. You're always going to be faced with challenges. You mean it's you're not a monk from the mountaintop? You're always <laughs> floating on the air as you the know, founder of the riding my unicorn around the universe. Um, yeah, right. You know, riding rainbows. But you know, that's not the case. I've I've faced so many major challenges, whether it was I was hospitalized five years ago from the death of my brother, there are so many things that I've experienced over life that were extreme catalysts for my growth. And at the time they were incredibly challenging and really tested me. And so having so many of those experiences, I've now come to a place where I can be more open and curious when something is happening rather than going right into reactivity and resistance and saying this shouldn't be happening, I can be more inquisitive, like what, what is the gift in this? And look for the silver lining more quickly. And, and that's not to say spiritually bypassing and pretending that, you know, everything's fine. I also have powerful tools and practices that I go right into the work. When I'm being triggered, when something's up for me, I will go immediately into it to work with it. So it's, it's not just pretending that everything's fine, but it's, so it's the, the inner work piece. And then, but, how do you, but, how, but, but Jackie, how do you do that in that moment? So I totally get it. Right. Let me make it. So my audience and they know that I love martial arts. I box right in the moment of being pummeled in the moment of dealing with that difficulty in the moment that uncertainty is coming, you just hate it. You want to get out. So in that moment, in that micro moment, what do you do such that you yeah. can bring that sovereignty in and, and then have a little bit of a distance to bring that in, bring us there? I, I think the, the most important thing is as soon as I'm noticing that I'm triggered, that something's alive in me, is going into it, pausing, working with the breath, feeling into what's coming up, what's alive for me. And then, you know, I've, I've so many different practices that that I can work through whatever it is, because I know that what's being triggered on the surface is is not usually what's actually there. It's all of the unprocessed, repressed, suppressed emotions and, and trauma imprints that, you know, I didn't have the tools to work with before. So whatever is happening outside of me or, you know, seemingly outside of me, you know, I know is often a reflection of my internal state. And so I can go into that and start to work with that, find out what those beliefs and emotional patterns are and actually work with them in real time. So, you know, it's, 
it's hard to say again, like what, what everyone can do, but the more we can build in that pause and, and go within when something is coming up for us. And, you know, like I said, as an opportunity to be curious when we're triggered rather than like, oh shit, I don't want to be feeling this. I don't want this to be happening. Something's wrong. It's like, oh, here's an opportunity to excavate something that wants to be released. That's going to bring me into more joy, more bliss, more freedom, more love, more expansion. So, you know, when I was hospitalized five years ago, I, I ended up with an abdominal infection that doctors were baffled by. And at the time it was extraordinarily painful. It was scary. I, you know, was going through CAT scans and ultrasounds and didn't know what was wrong with my body. So I was, I was scared and I was alone. I was in a new city where I didn't really know anyone, but it's actually how I connected with my now business partner and co-founder. And so in that moment, I was, you know, feeling all of the feelings and, and everything that was alive for me. And at the same time, the, I was, I was visiting Justin and he ended up coming to visit me in the hospital every day. And in that time that we had together, we felt this profound resonance and we're like, we need to do this work together. But I, I was nomadic at the time. So I may have just had dinner with him and kept driving and moved on to the next city. Every day I was in a new place, but because I ended up in the hospital, we had five days to really drop in and feel that connection. And as a result, we've now built everything that we've built and are doing this work in the world. So sometimes we don't know why things are happening. You know, on the surface, it may look like everything's falling apart, like now, you know, but hindsight is always 2020. It's easier to see looking back and connecting the dots. But if we can stay in the possibility and the opportunity and look for how could this be happening for me rather than to me? How could this be a gift and finding that silver lining while simultaneously doing the deep work on what's being triggered? So you're not just bypassing and finding, you know, all love and light and rainbows. It, it's that's really the where the power is. So doing the deep inner work while holding the the vision and finding the gift. Could you share a distinction with us in your definition? What's spiritual bypassing from, from your point of view? Because you mentioned that a couple of times. Again, it's one of those phrases that you hear a lot. People seem to have an understanding of it, but but if you could be more precise in the way that you define it, that would be really, really useful. Yeah. So spiritual bypassing is often just more in the, I think like the new age communities where everything is love and light and you only want to look at the positive things and, and you know, ignore the shadow, ignore um, anything else, because we know that everything is all love in the end. So it's, you know, while that is true on some level, it's also not actually connecting to the human that we are, you know, so like it's, it's in a higher dimension of, of conscious awareness, but it's bypassing the very human real aspects of ourselves that are full of shadow, full of trauma imprints and acting from an unconscious place. So if you're only in that and you're only finding, you know, the, the love and light in things, it's often not willing to look at what's actually happening on the ground in the world. And, and so it, it can come off as really 
tone deaf and inconsiderate because, you know, like in a pandemic, we are in a very real crisis situation. And yes, people are dying. People are struggling. People are facing incredible economic challenges. So to say like, oh, everything's perfect, you know, it, it's, there's a disconnect there. So I, I think it's important, you know, while there is truth in that perception, you know, it's, it's kind of a higher dimensional awareness, but it needs to be connected to the grounded humanity that we also are, because as multidimensional beings, we are, you know, human beings, you know, we're spiritual beings having, having a human experience. So both of those perspectives are happening simultaneously, but a lot of people are just glossing over things and not willing to actually go into the darkness, if that makes sense. It totally does. I mean, I'm, I'm nodding my head here in agreement for sure. The way I share with my audience is that everything effectively is fractal. So you can look at things from the very, very absolute in the macro level. Yeah. Everything is love and light for right. sure in the very macro zoom out point of view. But if you zoom in on the individual, there's the micro and this person's dealing with someone's death. This person's dealing with uh, economic hardship and in this microcosm, perhaps if you zoom out and you lengthen the time, this could be the biggest blessing in disguise for sure. Right. But in this moment, it's incredibly painful. And, and to say that everything's love and light, it's incredibly tone deaf and sensitive. And bring back my, my younger days. I would come from a cerebral, you know, yeah, you're good, man. Don't worry about it. It's going to be a blessing in disguise, but hopefully with more training now, <laughs> I can bring it to the more empathetic state. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's having, being able to simultaneously hold different perspectives, you know, the more elevated perspective, but also the more grounded perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I, I love that in the way you articulate your thoughts and in your teachings, you emphasize in leaning into the shadow, the darkness. One of the quotes I learned from my mentor is your biggest gift comes from your biggest wounds. Absolutely. If, if you can integrate it, if you can really embrace all of it, because in my mind, those things happen for a reason. That's my belief. Right. And then if you can integrate it, you can share the lessons, the wisdom that you learn from overcoming those dark wounds. So I was sharing with you earlier about my earlier guest, my former guest who has suicidal thoughts was facing extremely difficulties during 2008, but he faced it. And now fast forward years afterwards, he is now the world champion in jujitsu and he's 10 X his business accordingly. So, um, it's a beautiful illustration of that point. Yeah. And so when you're willing to really own the shadow parts and aspects of yourself and, and realize that in your wound is often your superpower, you know, uh, when we were first talking and we didn't even get there yet, it, we were talking about relationship building and building community. And, and for me, I think, this is part of my superpower, but it was definitely born out of a wound. So when I was small, I remember, you know, going to the mall and, you know, taking the bus and, and I would meet someone and I absolutely had to stay in touch with everyone I ever met. 
And I had this deep need to belong and to fit in and to be accepted and loved. And, you know, I, I know that those are pretty generic. We all have those, those needs, but there was a, a piece of me that felt like if I lost touch with someone, it was because I wasn't lovable. It was because I wasn't worthy or perfect or whatever. And so I kept in touch with everyone that I ever met. Everyone had to be like my best friend. And through that, I learned how to stay in connection with people and to really show up for people and put in the time, the energy, the effort into maintaining and building relationships. And now, you know, I've done so much work to heal those wounds. So I'm able to do it from a, a healthier place, but it was absolutely born out of that wound. And so really looking within and seeing like how our superpowers are so directly connected to our deepest core wounds allows you to have so much more acceptance and appreciation for them. Mm. I want to underline something that you said, I thought was beautiful. <clears throat> the come from place of how you develop these superpowers of relationship building was originated from a place of being stay connected from a place of like not having enough. Right. But now you're more mature. You can still use the same skill that you hone, but come from a place of fullness and abundance and overflow. Is that an accurate way to reflect back what you yeah, said? Absolutely. So I think when you do the work to integrate the shadow, you get all of the benefits of that, whatever that thing is that you didn't want to be um, the broken fractured aspects of our psyche. There's so much power in them too. And I, I think, you know, something that I value and I pride myself on being a good person and kind and loving. So I would never want to be seen as a bitch, you know? So the, the shadow aspect for, for me to play with for a long time was the bitch and where's the power in the bitch, you know, in the continuum of bitchiness, that doesn't mean I'm just going to be obnoxious to people now, but it's like, what is the power in being a bitch? And it was standing up for myself. It was having boundaries and all of the things that were hard for me. You know, like I said before, I was an overgiver and I was in this place of, you know, having a lot of codependent patterns and things like that. And so I could really benefit from having some of these powers of being a bitch. And so it's like, finding the strengths in that shadow and integrating those aspects of it into your psyche to make you more whole and complete. I love that. As you're speaking about being a bitch, <clears throat> Mother Teresa came to mind. And let me actually, before anyone make a judgment <laughs> of what I'm about to say, hold on. So most people think about Mother Teresa as being this small, tiny woman who is very nice and charitable and takes care of people in uh, Calcutta and, and so forth, right? <clears throat> but make no mistake, people, Mother Teresa is powerful. There's no way she's meek and, and small voice when she is coming from a place of of, of, of godliness, of, of power. And she has a full range from being me to being extremely powerful and demanding of things that she needed. So the point why it's relevant in this example that I'm sharing is what Jackie just shared about is a full range. Once you integrated your shadow, now you have a bigger range 
in the way that you can be and act and do uh, your life's work. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned that because really broadening your range gives you access to so much more. So playing with different archetypal energies and how could, you know, this warrior archetype, how could you bring that into your board meetings or something, you know, and, and just having more range is always going to serve you. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I've had incredible teachers in this work and to really help me to integrate those, those parts of myself, because they were absolutely these energies that I was like, I never want to be seen as that. I, you know, definitely disowned different parts of myself, but now that I've worked to integrate them and it's, it's not, you know, I haven't figured it all out. I'm, there's always more work to do, but I'm always working to, to broaden my range and to be able to tap into different archetypal energies. Another analogy that we use a lot here on the podcast is the idea of going to gyms. When you first go to a gym, you don't go ahead and say, Hey, I'm going to go lift that 300 pound thing. If you do, you may be able to do it one time, but chances are you're going to injure yourself. Right. But if you have the persistence and the consistence of going from, all right, I'm not able to do 300 pounds today, but I can start with five pounds and then 10 pounds over time, grow your range, grow your capacity, grow your strength to higher and higher level. One day, if you're persistent and consistent enough, then you can lift potentially that 300 pound that you go after. And what you're describing in terms of the way you articulate in leaning to your shadow, your darkness, your dark spots is on the everyday going to the gym. Whenever you notice, take a pause. Hmm, what's going on here? What's going on in my mind? And over time, such that you're becoming more as uh, Vishen Lakhiani would say, unfuckable with, right? That's the way I articulate it. Is that an accurate way to reflect everything that you said? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think another term from the world of trauma is like building your will, window of tolerance. And so, you know, expanding your capacity by doing this work, you're able to tolerate more uncertainty. You're able to tolerate more of these difficult emotions and things because you're, you're really expanding that range. And so, yeah, it's a practice. It, all of this is a practice. And, you know, there's going to be days where even the most conscious person will slip and fall into old patterns and, and be be triggered. And, and so just knowing that we're, we're all doing our best and just continuing to show up every day, willing to do the work. So I want to lean into your current work, Flow Consciousness Institute. All right. So in this time of difficulty and adversity and challenges where there's an actual pandemic pandemic happening, we're being furloughed, we're a social isolation, businesses, the financial markets, all of it is, you know, come down quite a lot, right? So we're effectively figuratively being pummel, pummel in the middle of that sparring session. Okay. So how do you uh, teach people to cultivate their uh, flow consciousness at this time? Because yeah. one may say, one may say, Jackie, that sounds awesome in theory. I'm in the middle of a shit show right now. Don't talk to me about flow consciousness. What would you say to that? 
Yeah, I absolutely get it. And, you know, we, we've had messages from our students at this time saying that the tools that we teach are exactly what's helping them to thrive in these times. So really, again, we, we talked about this as first principles and being able to apply these universally to any challenge in your life, because beyond this pandemic, there's going to be other things. We're always going to be, you know, and there's some people who aren't really affected by this at all, but they're being challenged by something else in life that has nothing to do. It's not necessarily pandemic related. We're always going to have challenges and things that are showing up in our lives to help us to grow and evolve. So it's really having the tools, the mindsets, the frameworks to support you in doing the inner work. Like I said, 60% of flow consciousness is reprogramming the mind. And, and working at the mental, emotional, energetic, and physical levels to actually uproot and reprogram in beliefs, emotional patterns, working through the traumas to optimize your flow. And then really taking on radical acceptance is one of our, our principles, really not resisting what's showing up. And then from that place, being able to surrender to it and, and work through what's happening honoring your, your intuition and allowing that to guide you to make the best possible decisions at this time. You know, there's, uh, we have seven flow principles. So each one is going in application will help people to navigate these uncharted waters. So if you can bring that to even more grounded first, more specific first. So I'm going through this right now, let's say, right. And I just saw my bank account. Oh my God it's going down really fast. The minute that runway is a business, let's say, right. And then do I just pull out your principle and there's a practice for me to practice? And like, what do I do? Like, um, principally intellectually, I get it. Seven principle. Awesome. Yeah. What do I do in that yeah. moment? I, you know, if, if your bank account is dwindling rapidly, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's going into, what does that bring up for you? You know, mm -hmm. so asking a series of mindful questions, what must I believe in order to be having this emotional response to this situation? Because, okay, mm -hmm. you know, your bank account is dwindling, but to one person that might be like, okay, well, time for me to get into action and to start creating. And another person might be like, oh, fuck, like, you know, now I'm going to be living on the streets and end up homeless and not be able to feed my kids and whatever. So the mm -hmm. situation is the same but it's how we're interpreting it. We live in a subjective reality. So the best thing to do is start to ask yourself these mindful questions about, you know, what, what's coming up for you in that experience, right? So, okay, your bank account is dwindling. What, what's beneath that? What fears are coming up? What thoughts are you having? What are, you know, these anticipated outcomes that are creating stress and working through those so that you can shift into opportunity. Because if you're, creating all of these negative imagined scenarios, right? Coming back to the present moment, like noticing what's happening in this moment. I still have a roof over my head. I still have food in the fridge. Like I'm okay, but I'm projecting this imagined reality that, okay, just because I'm losing money in this moment, now I've made up this whole narrative that I, you know, I'm, I'm going to end up poor and I'm a, a loser and I'm unworthy and whatever those stories are and doing the work around that. And then shifting into possibilities, we call it infinite possibilities reality. 
and starting to see like what are the the outcomes that you'd want to create and what must you believe in order to create these different outcomes because you know constraints are often essential for innovation and, and so if you're doing rapid prototyping and stuff they they give you a ridiculous uh, amount of things to create something new but those constraints foster ingenuity and innovation so it's like there's a perception that, okay, well, I'm being squeezed right now. And that could really force me to come into alignment, figure out, am I actually doing work that is fulfilling? There's a lot of people that I'm talking to and supporting right now that are like, oh, you know, like I'm realizing I don't actually want to be doing this job anyway. So what I'm here to do and starting to align more with that and getting creative or stepping just into possibility of what can I do to create more income or get more clients or create more content or whatever it is. Again, it's, it's going to be unique and, and individual to the person, but really always coming back to what is coming up for you, what's being triggered, how can you work through that so that you can shift into possibility. That's beautiful. So let me do a quick recap and then I'll ask my follow-up question. So one of the quote that came to mind as we were speaking is adversity reveals one's character and mm. not only reveals one's character, but re reveals one's empowering beliefs, limiting beliefs, uh, reveals one's light, reveals one's shadow, like all of it, right? It's essentially it's a forcing function. It multiplies everything. That's the way I look at it. So my question to you, right? I remember now what my follow-up question is is okay so uh i'm gonna look at that thank you jackie yep it shows me certain beliefs that i have okay now that i have a intellectual cerebral understanding what my limiting beliefs may be right <clears throat> what do i do do i just do affirmations all day hey i'm awesome i'm awesome i'm awesome you know <laughs> wealth and abundance is gonna flow my way esque or are there something else that I could do to shift the way I believe about my circumstances, my relationships, uh, who I am as a person, you know, my relationship with money. These are like fundamental beliefs are, yeah, I have my practices, but I'm curious to know what's your advice to your students. Yeah. So affirmations are limited. I think often writing affirmations is like signaling to your subconscious that you don't actually believe them when you have to keep reinforcing and repeating them. But also if you have conflicting beliefs in your subconscious that you're not aware of, then it creates a tug of war. So, you know, I could tell myself all day, every day I'm abundant, but I'm looking in my bank account and there's no money in it. Like I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm lying to myself. So affirmations, you know, are, are valuable to an extent in that you can, on, a, on the most simplistic level, start to choose the opposite, more empowering belief. Like when you're doing this mindful questioning process and you get to what you think the root is of, you know, whatever this fear or whatever this belief is, you get to choose the most empowering and life-enhancing opposite. And you can start to act as if you believe that. And, you know, as we said before, both realities exist. It's what you're using 
you know, your brain has this incredible reticular activating system that's filtering all of the data that's coming at you and sorting it according to your confirmation bias and according to your, your beliefs and perceptions. So you can start to use that to your benefit and you can find evidence that supports the new belief that you're taking on and start to rewire the neural pathways in that sense. But then in our, in our work, in our, our programs, we actually work with different neurobiological tools, different energetic tools, different somatic practices to actually rewire them in your neurology. So on the most simplistic level, it's really finding models of possibility of, of people in your world or you know just that you see on TV that are living the life that you want, that are the embodiment of the belief that you want to take on, acting as if you already believe that about yourself, and then starting to gather evidence that supports that because you're going to then reinforce it and rewire that neural pathway. So let me recap. <clears throat> Find a belief that's empowering to you and then actively look for evidence that supports that belief. Is that accurate? So that's step one, right? Yeah. Step two is find someone else who already embodies the actualized version of you or, you know, who embodies who you like to be kind of, and then. So often we can't see these things for ourselves because we're Mm -hmm. stuck in our own limitations and arguing for our limitations. So it's like, Mm -hmm. You know, if I if I say there's no good men in Los Angeles or something, I hear a lot of people say things like that, you know, and if I believe that I'm going to find all of the men that are, you know, cheating and lying and doing whatever, because I'm going to confirm that belief for myself. But if I find models of possibility, you know, my friend's husband's a really good guy and he's loving and supportive and it's like, okay, well, that's now contradicting the belief and giving me evidence of of something that I want to be true, but I don't necessarily believe I can have for myself. So, you know, I start finding models of possibility in other people and whatever's in your field is going to be possible for you as well, but it might be harder for you to see for yourself. Mm, I love that. Thank you. One of the reasons why I'm such an advocate for psychedelics, specifically magic mushrooms and ayahuasca is to me, it serves many different functions from my point of view. I mean, this is obviously personal, so I'm not advocating it for others. I'm just sharing my personal experience here. It gives us, it forces a different perspective on us. And at the same time, gives us a very visceral, emotional experience. And at the, and then, so it's true in that moment, right? But then afterwards, obviously I'm smart enough to know that that's not quote unquote, my reality, or it's only subjective reality for that moment. But then after that experience, I can then re-examine, re-evaluate, hmm, does it empower me to hold on to this belief that I've had, you know, for many, many years, or does it uh, not serve me for a long time? So I use it personally as a a accelerant, as a catalyst, as a multiplier to Hmm. my personal transformational experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's incredible power in plant teachers that get you out of the ego and, and the limited mind and help you to see a more transcendent perspective. Often it can be harder for people because then it's like moved to the ceiling of possibility for them 
you know, to something that feels even more unattainable. So I think integration is so important and really having a strong, solid foundation of inner work going in and also having integration beyond because otherwise, you know, it can be a very fragmenting experience for people who see, you know, let's say the true nature of reality and experience themselves in their truest nature as God, as infinite, and yet they go right back into their lives and it's like, oh my God, well, how do I get there? It feels even further away. I see. So if you look at the flow chart of flow, uh, sorry, what is it? Tip of my tongue. Anyways, if it's too overwhelming, if it, the stress is too much, it's, it's totally outside of our capabilities, extremely overwhelming. But if the stress is totally within your capability, it's very boring. So they call it the flow zone is just 4% outside of your capability. Is it similar to what you're describing here? For, so for, for the people that are experiencing this, it's like way out of their realm of possibility. You may seem, what's the word I'm looking for? Overwhelming or hopeless that I'll never get there. So they don't even try. Like that is that what I mean? Um, I don't know that that's what I'm saying. I, I think you know, just in terms of um, integration for medicine work, because a lot of people can access these higher states and higher planes of consciousness, but then mm -hmm. when they come back into their 3D reality, it's like, oh, well, you know, my circumstances are the same. Now I've tasted what's actually possible and what I know to be true, but I don't know how to stay in that. And I don't know how to get there. So for some, it can great, create like a bigger gap. So I, I feel like, you know, so much of medicine work will be more supported with a foundation of inner work and, and really powerful integration practices as well. Because yeah, in, in, in terms of the 4%, the you know, I think titrating people to what's what's possible for them, you know, like I, I don't know the flow state work as much, but like if I was going to start surfing and I mean, for me, I've, I've tried surfing once and I cried when I was on the sand, like it was not, it was not pretty. I had, a, I got caught in a riptide when I was a kid. And so I had some trauma in being trapped under the water. So I had a lot of deep fear going into the water that I didn't even make it into the water and I was already crying. So for me, thinking that I'm going to ever surf a 10-foot wave is probably beyond what I can comprehend at this point. So maybe starting with something more accessible, like getting on a board in the water and standing up or something, as opposed to like holding that, like, oh, now I need to get, you know, I need to be a champion surfer. What do you think psychedelics as a way to expand one's consciousness or more specifically flow consciousness? Yeah, I think, I think they can be very powerful teachers. Again, they're, they're getting you out of the limits of the egoic mind and allowing you to, to transcend that and to be able to tap into higher planes of reality and higher dimensions of consciousness. And so I, I definitely think they can be incredible teachers and for the, the healing aspects, you know, being able to access traumas and, and work through through things that maybe the, the ego is so strong and holding on to that you wouldn't be able to necessarily access. But that said, I do think, I mean, intentionality is everything and set and setting and working with skilled 
facilitators and not just doing something because everyone else is doing it, like really honoring a connection to a particular plant teacher. And, you know, not just because like all of Silicon Valley is doing it. So now you have to do it too. And really, you know, like I said before, the integration piece is so important. So I, I think they're profound teachers with some caveats and, and I don't believe they're for everyone. I, I think, you know, many, many people can benefit from them and I don't think it's for everyone. So there's so many paths to the same place and so many of those same transcendent experiences can be attained and achieved through meditation or breath work or other practices. So yeah, I, I think they're they're very potent, very powerful and need to be used in a, a way that's with a lot of reverence and intentionality. 100% uh, agree with you. It's a very, very powerful experience, um, powerful tool for a powerful transformation reverence. I think the analogy that I give people is, would you ever give a young child a power tool without training? Hmm. Probably not. <laughs> right? That's uh, probably else probabilistic outcome of that is no good. So, yeah. so similarly, like set and setting training lineage. Uh, yeah, the, the emotional support who you go with, you know, your surrounding, I mean, everything, everything for sure. So but I do want to say, oh, one thing I'm so curious about you is your reputation as a super connector. So you had talked about when you were younger, this is an area that you really wanted to develop and you did and you developed it. Now you're using this superpower for good, right? So talk to us about the importance of uh, community during this time, especially as mm -hmm. well as maybe some of the mechanics of someone who wants to develop their ability to connect with people at this time. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. You know, it's something that I never really appreciated or didn't think was a superpower or a skill set or thought it was just obvious to everyone else. You know, no, it's like we not. all have. I, can, I promise you, it's not. <laughs> We all have <laughs> profound gifts, but it's like you can't see it when it's so close to you. Mm -hmm. And so being able to step back and, and have reflections from people like, wow, that's an incredible thing. I wish I could do that. I'm like, wait, can't? Yeah. And, and at this time, I think more than ever, we're being shown how much community and connection is essential for us to thrive. And, you know, that being in this isolation if we don't have a support network, if we don't have a community of like-minded people around us, it can be so much more difficult to get through these times. And that's why we're seeing suicide, depression, anxiety, all of that. And so for me, community is everything. And yeah, if I had to break down the, the connector, so I have a bit of an engineer's mind, which again, I didn't really realize actually until I had a an EEG, I had a brain scan where the doctor actually told me that I had an engineer's mind and I was like, wait, like that doesn't even make sense. Numbers and math are not at all my thing, but it's the pattern recognition ability that I have that I'm able to see connections that I can make for people that has become a superpower. And so there's a willingness and a, and a desire for me. Like it brings me the most joy to be able to introduce someone and, and change their lives with just an email. 
But I think over time, as I've developed this skill, it, it's really, I put in so much energy and love and care into nurturing and building relationships. And I think the most simple thing to do is to show up in service and always asking and, and all of your interactions, you know, when you have the bandwidth for it, this is not, again, noticing the tendency to come as an overgiver. So having healthy boundaries around it, but asking people, how can I support you? What do you need in this moment? Is there anything, you know, I can do for you? And um, showing up from that place of connecting from the heart in authenticity and vulnerability. But then, yeah, my default is to remember, you know, because I'm, I'm constantly listening to people and listening for what they need. That's the frame that I have a lot of my conversations. It's like, I'm listening for who they are in the world, what they do in the world, what their interests are, what their hobbies are, paying attention to the subtle energetics as an empath, I can, I can feel people. And so when I connect people, it's on multiple dimensions. It's like, okay, you know, who is this person? What are they doing in the world? What do they need? And then who would they resonate with? Really finding that extra layer of like, okay, these two people might be in the same industry, but they would not connect they would not get along like tuning into like who would actually enjoy knowing each other but yeah asking like how you can support someone what they need and then going the extra step to actually follow through a lot of people just don't even follow through or they'll meet people at events and conferences and things and and there's an energy of networking and and like networking is such a gross word and to me it implies transactional nature of connection. And it's really about building relationships. Like who is this human being in front of you? And I love how you said, you know, I'm, I'm curious about this, about you. So it's leading with that curiosity. What is it that you want to know about this person? And yeah, seeing how you can serve them and support them. And, and then for me, just making introductions is, is so easy now because I'm listening for what the other person needs. And then I, I catalog it in my brain. I'm not actually sure how I'm able to maintain this level of, of information. Wait a minute. You, you don't, you, hold on. So before I, before I dive in there, well, I'm just surprised that you don't use like a software to help you. Oh, I'm so tech phobic. So I have a limiting belief. That I what? You're joking me? No. But, 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 but I do want to, again, underline some of the things you said. So, okay. So everything I heard. Okay. So what you said is coming from a place of, I have enough self-care, you know, I'm taken care of, right? Not from a place of trying to compensate for my, my, my own lack of, right? In service of others. And then from a place of abundance overflow, and then be curious about whoever you meet, who is this human being? What is he or she saying to you, communicating to you that this person stands for? And what is it that they, that could really support them? And then actually ask the question of how can I support you and just treat this human being as a human being rather than a transaction, rather than uh, quote unquote networking, as you said, a gross word. And then from that space, what else did you say? All right. And then you said to make a connection, to make an introduction is one of the most fulfilling, maybe not exactly the word that you use, but it's one of the most rewarding things that you do for people. Is that an accurate recap? Yeah, yeah that was impressive. Yeah. And again, it, it's coming from a, a place of leading with service and 
how can I give rather than how can I get? And I guess the mistakes that I see often, I get so many messages in my inbox from people that I have zero relationship with that are asking for something or trying to sell me something or, you know, there's no attempt to build a relationship, get to know someone. It's all very transactional and it feels really gross and even violating a lot of the time. So you did say something about the energetic resonance. That's an important mm. thing when it's not just the surface, it's not just the same industry. It's not just, you know, uh, qualifications on paper. This person should meet with this person because the resume kind of match, but rather, as you said, it's the energetic resonance. Yeah. So the way my brain works again, it's this pattern recognition thing where I'll meet someone at an event and they'll be like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm in a cannabis investor or something. And it's like, okay, automatically my mind starts going who do I know in that space? And I don't, I don't know how I'm able to do this because I have movie amnesia. There's like books and, and movies and things that I see that are immediately ejected from my brain, but I have an insane memory for people. I can tell you like what someone was wearing, the time and place that I met them and it bugs them out sometimes. So it's like I'll automatically go into who else do I know, make some associations in my brain with like people that are in a resonant industry. And then, you know, and then I'll try to remember like, who else might have something that could hold a key for them and support them in, in making their mission a reality or, or expanding their company or bring them more business or whatever. And then double opt-in intros, I think are, are super important and really just valuing people's time and asking first if this person wants to be connected because maybe they don't, maybe they don't have time, maybe they don't have interest. So really getting permission on both sides for the connection to happen to make sure they actually want to connect and get to know each other. And then following up. I mean, that's, I think the thing that I see most people drop the ball, they'll go to an amazing event event and get a bunch of contacts and business cards and stuff, and then just not reach out again. So I, I think essentially just wanting to know who the person is first and foremost, and then seeing if there's a way that you can support them and you don't have to, there's, you know, you're not going to be able to help everyone, but just expanding your listening to find out what are these associations you can make? What are the patterns, the dots that you can connect and then seeing how you can offer value. So I've now got this unbelievable network in all of these crazy, amazing communities as a result of, of this skill and seeing how I can add value and offer someone something before I ever ask for anything. And, you know, it, it's such an easy thing for me. You know, that's why it's hard for me to, to see because it, it's so second nature to me because I, I've, like I said, born out of this wound, I've spent my life deeply listening to people and seeing how I could serve them. But for other people who maybe it isn't second nature, I think it's something that you can absolutely train yourself to start listening for and then taking action on. So let me bring a couple of points in. So one thing that, that right. One thing that people don't do, or at least the beginner networkers or the connectors don't do is, Hey, I think you, sh you should meet so-and-so. Let me just make an introduction. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm left with 
someone's good intention, but also another thing I got to deal with because I don't necessarily need to establish new relationship per se at the, at this time. I'm busy enough as it is. I don't need yet another thing. So the follow-up question I have for you, my friend here is uh, Dunbar's number, right? <clears throat> We're really, really busy where our brain is not created like yours, perhaps. Where we can just keep roughly 150 relationships in our top of mind, in our buffer. And versus personally for me, I need a tool to help me organize. <laughs> even with LinkedIn, even with Facebook, those are helpful. But still, I like to be a little bit more systematic in the way that I think about relationships. And I, I'll make it timely. My background is biomedical engineering. So I have a unique set of skills that most people don't have. And we are at a time where I know a lot of innovators, inventors, connectors, resources, who are all trying to solve problems for COVID-19 and as well as COVID-19, post-COVID-19, right? Mm. So part of the a way that I want to contribute is by connecting the, the dots between the different people with similar initiatives or resources or trying to solve different, you know, similar problems per se. But perhaps the limiting beliefs that I have, I'm just not very, very good at <laughs> connecting people. Hence why I'm asking this question in a very selfish way. Like I want to be able to help and contribute value. And out of the thousands of people that I know that's in my network, how do you pick and select the ones that comes to mind? How do you, do you have a rubric for you to, you know, prioritize the 150 out of thousands that you know? Yeah, I wish there was a, a simple answer to that. And my dream is to have someone, you know, come in and organize my brain for me, you know, in, in, in an easy to use CRM, because I've tried CRMs, I, I have, I started a spreadsheet at one point, I think I got three, three layers in and I was like, oh, this is, this is annoying. It's just not, I'm not that person. So I think for me, and I don't know how helpful this is for me, it's intuition. The more I'm able to get out of my mind, the more the right person just comes in. And that's why it's been hard for me historically to everyone's like, oh, you should do this as a a career, you should make money off of this or something. But then someone comes to me and says, Hey, can you like find me this person? And I, I like, I, I feel stressed, but if I'm just organically picking up on something and it, it comes to me right away. So again, accessing your intuition allows you to sort for so much more information. Yeah. And I, I think there was another thing that I wanted to add that isn't entirely related, but I think the more specific you can be, in what you're asking for, in who you want to connect with. And also, if you're making introductions, to actually say why you're connecting people. You know, what do they have in common? What, what do you see in coming out of this connection? Why should they want to know each other? And, you know, I'll, I'll get down to even the more nuanced, like I said, the energetics of it. Like, oh, and, you know, you both love puppies and they're playful. And, you know, so beyond the reason for them connecting, I'll lay it out why I think people should connect and, and say that I think they both hold keys for each other's business or something. But so many people will make introductions for me 
And I don't even know why I'm connecting to this person because they haven't said anything and I can't go and look the person up or, you know, it's just a first name and there's no information. So I think the more you're focused on making life easier for the people that you're connecting, especially by email, by hyperlinking their website or their project or something. So they have something to reference and look back to will really increase your value as a, as a connector. But yeah, I wish I wish I had a more uh, tangible a course. Process. Yeah, a course <laughs> where everyone can take to be super connected. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's it. You know, maybe I need to reverse engineer how I do it so I can teach other people. I am happy to be that interviewer. Happy to. Uh, my superpower is to get the wisdom out of people. So let Amazing. me know how I can support you there, my friend. So if you're asking, uh, be specific about your ask and and why you're asking, right? And then if you are trying to make a connection, make sure you provide the context, energetic, professional, you know, whatever the reason you think these two people coming together would add value to everyone's lives, right? Make sure you provide context versus here, so-and-so me here. And then now they are on a blind date. They have no idea where they're connected. Right. It's like, why why are we together? Yeah, especially when you're on so many calls and getting so many emails and stuff too. It's like, wait, why am I? I forget who introduced us and why. So if you make it really easy for them to go back and be like, oh, right, we're connecting about Project X. And then they know what it's about. It's going to be so much easier. Do you, when you listen for what people need or what they stand for, do you confirm it with them? Hey, based on what you share with me, I think you're looking for this. Is that correct? Or you just kind of take that assumption and this person is looking for this, you should meet so-and-so. Yeah. You know, sometimes like I've connected people solely on intuition and there's like, I don't even know why I'm connecting them myself, but I sensed that they need to know each other for some reason. And Mm. it's been some of the most powerful connections that I've made. So I think the willingness to be wrong. But again, this is because I've, I've built this up over time and I always get permission first. So I'm not just connecting random people. And I'll, I'll, I'll put a caveat, a disclaimer in the email saying, look, I don't even know why I feel like you should connect. So, you know, I'm curious as you explore that, what will come out of this. But just so you know, this is just an intuitive hit and I have no basis for saying this. So that way it kind of lets me off the hook a bit, but also discernment comes in, you know, how do you really um, value your reputation as a connector? As you start to do this more, you don't want to just make introductions for people that you don't feel like both parties would benefit, right? There's so many people that are like, oh, can you introduce me to somebody? And I'm like, no, you know, because I don't feel like they'd get any value from it. Like it has to be a mutual thing for me to want to do it. And, and so, no- pause, so, pause, so pause for a moment. <clears throat> so you talked about trusting your intuition at the same time, use your discernment too. Yeah. Right. Make it clear. So it's not just, oh, trust whatever feels good that's coming through you, but rather yeah. you also use your logical cerebral mind as well. Combine Absolutely. Together. Okay. And again, it always comes back to the integration of the heart and the mind, the, the rational and the intuitive and, and really bridging those And yeah, and especially, you know, this is something I've thought about in this crisis. I too, I have a lot of people who are connected to PPE and masks and things like that. But I'm like, you know what? 
that's something that I don't feel like I know enough about to get involved with that I don't want that on my hands if I've now connected someone and now these masks turn out to be fake and that's my reputation at stake. So there's like the desire to help and serve can often outweigh actually thinking critically and and doing the due diligence to look into like, is this actual like a credible noteworthy source? And sometimes I can't know that. So I'd rather just not engage in that at all. So really having that discernment is so important. So I'm glad you brought that up because at a time right now where a lot of reinventions of businesses, careers, or individuals are all happening at the same time, right? Relationships, right? Parents and all of it happening at the same time. So how could you see someone connecting or building a community could be a hack accelerated a catalyzed way to create a new identity a new entity a new relationship a new a way of being hmm. yeah i mean i'm not sure i entirely understand the question but in terms of like in this time like if you are someone who wants to build let's say community and, and I'm starting to do this. There's like little breakouts in different communities that I, I belong to. Like we're starting a, a mental health action team for one of them. And so uniting under a common desire to serve in a certain way and having a measurable outcome. You know, what do we want this group to be about? What, do, what are our common values or common mission? What is the objective of this group? And then really just sensing into who would be in alignment with that. Who are the people in your community that, what are the, the characteristics, the qualities, the essence of, of the people that you would want to be in this community? I mean, there's so many different factors on community development that as, as you grow and scale a community too, that all of that then changes when you get past a certain level of, of people, the intimacy and connection changes. So the way you show up is going to change as well. So, yeah, I think there's there's so many different factors involved. So you don't just have one big community, you have like many small or different communities for you, Jackie? I'm a community hoarder. <laughs> I'm, I'm Say more about that. What do you mean? What do you um, mean? <laughs> I'm so people and relationship driven that I, I spend the majority of my days just connecting to people and connecting people. And I belong to so many different entrepreneur communities and spiritual communities. And so I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm noticing like when I was, when I was younger too, I had the sense that I belong to everyone and I belong to no one at the same time. So it was never really, you know, even in high school, I was like, penetrating all these different groups and, and saying I traveled to over 70 countries and, and I can adapt and fit into pretty much any situation, any culture, any scenario and feel comfortable. And so I belong to so many different communities and yet I'm not like at the heart and core of really any of them. So I'm able to like dance between and flit about between them. Whereas some people it's like, these are my people, this is my community. But the way I operate is like, I'm a weaver. I think one of my strong suits is a, a synthesizer and a weaver. And so I cross pollinate 
And I'm like, you know, the hummingbird that's going back between all of them. You build bridges between different yeah. disparate totally. communities. Yeah. yeah. My friend, uh, my friend is very much the same way. He's a, uh, a former uh, nightclub promoter and now a CEO of a, a tech company. And he calls himself a chameleon. And he, when he, wherever he's at, he can just be a part of the group very easily. Hmm. So it sounds like you guys are similar people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. So there you go. You just did it. It's like, what's the commonality? What's, what's, you know, making that association? Like, who do I know that feels like this person? So yeah. as you ask for like a concrete step for people, how to develop that skill as a connector. And it's like, what is, what is the essence of that person? What does that person feel like? You know, what do they do? What is their gift? And like, oh, those two people feel similar. So mm. they might benefit from knowing each other. Yeah, the reason why I, I guess my, my question wasn't so clean is that there's a quote that comes to mind as, as we're discussing the question of community. And that is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you mm. want to go far, go together. And in the reinventing of one's career or one's business, the one could just do it by themselves, right? The, the craftsman, the, the technologist, the, the specialist would just say, Hey, let me focus on making the widget, the PPE, whatever, and then show the world when it's done, ta-da, Steve Jobs style, right? Or <clears throat> the question was, would it be faster? Would it be better to build it in a community? Hmm. That was more the question that was embedded in the way that I yeah. fumbled through the, asking that question. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying and that, that makes it more clear. And I also, I tend to avoid all or nothing, you know, black or white, it has to be like, you know, alone or together because I, I think it's nuanced and everything comes back to the individual. Some people are so hyper-focused and go it alone and they're able to create things that I would never be able to create, but I'm a relational oriented being. So for me, community is everything, but I think there's always, you know, coming back to, you know, I keep saying similar things because I feel like these are kind of universal principles is like the integration of the two. So there's the people who are best at going it alone and, and creating in that hyper-focused, not distracted way. And then there's the, the community that can amplify and accelerate what they're doing. So I, I think, you know, the, the way I tend to see most things is where's the both and, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have to choose. It, it's really getting in touch with like, how do I operate at my best? For me, it's definitely with people. For mm -hmm. other people that are, are less relationally oriented or more introverted or just, you know, have more focus than I do. I'm just such a, I don't know if you're familiar with human design and Enneagram no. and that. So human design in the system, like I'm what's known as a projector and the projectors are the visionaries, the people that are amplifying others and like holding the big picture, but we're not meant to work. We're not meant to be in the nitty gritty and the details. So for me, to compare myself to another type in this system that, you know, the, say the generators, the people who are doing the, the busy work and, and love systems and things like that's just not how we function. So I think when we all are operating in our best alignment with how we're optimally performing, but then integrating and, and 
and bringing into this harmonic convergence all of the the people that are functioning at their highest that's when we have the the most efficient system mm. thank you for that i love that i love that you you know you came back many different ways and very politely we say in that hey there's no one size fits all <laughs> it's very much about finding one's own harmonic resonance in the middle so i appreciate that thank you yeah so Jackie, we talked a lot about different subjects. We talked about your journey, overcoming the existential crisis, uh, personally, health through your brother. We talked about your daily rituals. We talked about finding certainty during this uncertain time. We talked about how to cultivate uh, flow consciousness. We talked about building community. So for anyone that's listening right now, What's if they leave with just one question or one tactic or one discipline, what would you recommend them to take on? Hmm. Wow. This question is always so hard. Um, narrowing it down to one thing. Start with that. What was the micro thing, micro commitment from this conversation that they're inspired by you, by your story, by your resonance, energetic resonance, and they're going to take this micro step. What would you recommend? Yeah, what's coming to me in this moment is know thyself. And so whatever that looks like, really taking the time to know who you are and who you are like at your core, who you are beneath all of the externalized identity. So the, the ways we get our value in the world from our careers, our possessions, things like that, really taking the time to ask the question, who am I beneath all of that is probably the most powerful thing that we can do. Beautiful, my friend. People who are inspired by you, by your story, by your practice, by your energetics, where should we send them to? Yeah, feel free to connect on any of the social media at Jackie Nectel on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. LinkedIn, you know, there's so many different ways. Flowconsciousnessinstitute.com is kind of the home for all of these different teachings and trainings and research. So yeah, I would love to hear any insights, takeaways, shares, or just connect. Thank you, Jackie, so much for being here and being so generous with your, with your story, with your openness, with your willingness to dance with me in this conversation. Yeah, it's been so appreciative of you sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was so fun. I love, you know, we meandered into all of these different places and it was really beautiful. Thank you, my friend. <laughs>